Welcome to the Leadership Mindset Podcast with me, Tony Brooks, where we look to revolutionize your leadership mindset by changing how you think and see your world, enabling you to do the right things and grow significantly as a leader. Thank you for joining me again on the Leadership Mindset podcast series. And this particular episode, we're going to be continuing with the theme of what neuroscience can teach us in leadership and life in general, really, and in business. And in the last episode, if you want to check it out, I looked at four different aspects of neuroscience and what we can learn from that to improve our general well-being, our performance at work, etc. And today, we're going to be looking at four different aspects of neuroscience, psychology, and again, what we can learn from that. And they are, uh, firstly, about brain health and why it's so important to look after ourselves, not just in terms of our physical health, but also our brain as well. Then we're going to dig deeper into one particular aspect, which is about that of sleep and how important it is for us to put a focus on getting the quality of sleep that we need and the quantity. Then the third area, we're going to take a look at confidence and the fact that actually confidence is not hardwired. We can learn to be more confident. We can unlearn, unlearn confidence as well, unfortunately, but we can relearn it and we can learn approaches to improve our confidence. And then finally, we're going to look at the area of stress and why stress can be so damaging. I think we all go through periods where we feel stressed, but it is really about uh, looking at the damaging impact of longer term stress and why it's so important for us to avoid it and how we can do that. So let's get started on the subject of brain health. Now, I think years ago, we all, we all started getting into the importance of regular exercise and watching what we ate and diet and what have you. Primarily, the driver, though, was probably about the way that we looked. It was the fact we wanted to look better. Then I think over more recent years, we've started to realise the importance um, to our longer term health, really, of taking good care of ourselves. Again, having regular exercise, um, making sure we drink enough water, making sure that we get enough sleep and making sure that we eat well and we have a good diet. In recent years, though, neuroscience has raised the importance of taking good care of ourselves, but in relation to looking after our brains to ensure that we have a quality of life now and also in, the, in later life as well. Now, your brain is an organ and the, the thing is it's involved in everything we do. When your brain works right, you're going to work right and vice versa as well. When you're working right and looking after yourselves in, in, in a broader sense, then you're looking after your brain and your brain functions well as well. It really is the most amazing organ in the universe with approximately 86 billion neurons. And you may have heard me speak about this before, but we have neurological systems in our stomach and our heart as well. Um, obviously, way less neuron, neurons uh, than in the main uh, organ, our brain. But there is uh, complex, a complexity of our neurological system is incredible. I say the most amazing organ in the universe is the brain. So as well as focusing on our psychological mental health and well-being, which has been a really big topic over the last sort of 12 or 18 months as we've been through a pandemic, we do need to make sure we've got some regular healthy brain habits. Now, I'm going to share with you here then some subjects or su suggestions from doctors and neuroscientists in terms of what you might want to look at around this. First of all, an obvious one, 
regular exercise. So not just good for body, but good if, good for your brain as well. Then hydration as well. I think we all notice that uh, there are times when we start to feel our energy levels going or we feel lethargic. And it may well be if you just grab yourself a pint of water, that could be what you need to uh, hydrate um, your body and your brain. Now, the thing is with the brain as well, it's a smaller organ, but it takes up 20% of the resources and energy of the body as well. So looking after it. You could also look at the right kind of supplements that you need. And I know there are, I'm not an expert on nutrition and supplements, so it's good to actually talk to somebody who is. But looking at the right supplements for yourself as well. It could be that you learn something new and stretch your neurology. Um, it could be that you want to just take and learn a language class. I remember doing Italian for a period of time a few years back. And, it, you know, just stretching your mind in different ways, really. From, from the normal pattern of uh, using your brain. Avoiding dangerous activities and head trauma where possible. Again, there's a lot of evidence that says that uh, people who experience head trauma through maybe sporting activities, that can be uh, damaging for your brain and then how you function as a result of that. Looking at reducing your carbohydrates and, and looking at your weight as well and your diet, obviously important. Getting enough sleep, which I'm going to talk about in more detail in a moment. Looking at stress management techniques as well to limit the damage of cortisol on body and brain. And also looking at probiotics and good gut health. Again, as I said before, there, there is actually 100 million neurons in your, um, your gut brain. And we've had that neurological system. and It's about taking good care of that. Now, again, I've done a little bit of uh, looking into probiotics and I use, I've been using probiotics for a little while and changed one recently. I must admit, it's probably best to get expert advice, but you can do some digging around and start to research what are the most effective ones that you, you possibly need. And again, it's been found that probiotics can help with things like depression and anxiety as well, because your gut health can be related to that. Uh, watch the alcohol again I think um, it's probably a very pertinent topic as we've been through a pandemic the past 18 months and I think a lot of people and I put my hand up here have probably have been drinking a little bit more than they might have done before but alcohol again can be damaging for us to our brain as an organ obviously it can be physically damaging for us as well um, it's said that you know moving to a more plant-based diet is important I, I must admit we're making attempts to avoid meat at least one if not two days a week um, but there's there's a lot of evidence to say that that's helpful and the final one is about getting good social support and there are there are many others but i thought i'd share a few ideas from doctors and neuroscientists on ways that you can actually improve your brain health now interestingly enough there has been research into what are called the blue zones and this is five regions around the globe where they've been identified as places where people live over 100. So the the average um, sort of lifespan is longer than, you know, other places around the globe. Now, they are specifically Okinawa in Japan, Sardinia in Italy, Nicova in Costa Rica, Luna Linda in California and Icaria in Greece. So quite specific places. Now, what was found that the people in those countries practice many of the uh, things that we were talking about just a moment ago and also uh, one that Sally did as well actually interestingly enough he's having a sense of purpose and I was talking to a friend who is sort of in their mid-60s about this at the, the weekend and we were saying about the danger of retirement is that you can to a degree lose a sense of purpose but 
the people in those regions had done things that's continued to give them a sense of purpose in life beyond retirement. Now, it may well be that you don't want to live to 100 or beyond, um, but I'm sure that you want a good quality of life in later years. So it's well worth having a look at those habits and behaviours that will take good care of your brain as an organ, as well as taking care of your body. Let's look now at sleep. Now, I remember some of you may well have heard of Arianna Huffington and she put out quite a famous book called Thrive. And I read this a few years back and I remember that, that there was a big focus in the book on the amount of sleep and quality of sleep you were getting. And one of the things struck me when I read that book was that I wasn't always and I, I don't know about you, but I know myself. And if I get under seven hours sleep, if I get sort of six, six and a half hours sleep, I'm just not anything like uh, as on the ball the following day I just feel you know quite below par so it's been important for me the last sort of couple of years or so since reading the book to do my utmost to make sure I'm in bed well before the time um, that I would need to be asleep so that when I wake up I'll have had sort of seven seven and a half hours sleep now for you, uh, there may be maybe eight hours that you need. And for those of you who think that you only need five or six hours, uh, you know, I'd, I'd probably question that. You may be getting by on it, but is it really um, supporting you as well as it might? But yeah, but get into bed so that you can ideally fall asleep um, at a time where, you know, if you know you're going to get up the next morning, I mean, maybe you've got different times you get up the next day. So it might be at the weekend you get up later. Might be you've got an important meeting, you've got to travel, you've got to be up at half five the following day. But if you know that, then you know what time you need to be asleep to get the sort of seven, seven and a half, eight hours or whatever it is sleep that you ideally need uh, to function well. Now, say if you think you, you function well on six, six and a half hours, then but making sure that you are doing that. But here's the question for you, really, in a broader sense. Are you getting enough sleep generally? And sleep performs some really important processes for our minds and bodies on a daily basis. From a psychological, from a brain perspective, it consolidates learning, reorganises memory, and there is an element of neural reorganisation going on overnight when we sleep. Also, and I only learned this myself recently, when you sleep, it flushes out toxins. We, lie on, we, we rely on cerebral spinal fluid to flush out neurotoxins, including beta amyloid, which is found in clumps of, of brains of people with Alzheimer's disease. So the flushing out of these toxins is really vitally important to us, not just in the short term, but in terms of the impact it can have on us longer term as well so we open up hidden caves that flush out toxins through the spinal column when we go through our sleep process and again the thing is we actually go through five cycles during 90 minutes so we have a 90 minute pattern and we go through five cycles and obviously that's repeated but we can go through light sleep then we go through no REM sleep uh, REM is rapid eye movement. And then there are two stages of deep delta wave sleep where your brain frequency is at delta. And then finally, there is REM sleep, which is you know where a lot of the reorganisation and flushing out of toxins is taking place during that stage and also the delta wave stages before. So we need to make sure we're getting 
the quantity and quality of sleep as well. Interestingly enough, I was talking to a client recently about avoiding caffeine from two o'clock, which I'm going to come to in a moment, but they felt they were now getting a better quality of sleep. So it wasn't just about the amount of time they were sleeping. They feel they're getting the quality of sleep as well. Now, if we don't focus on getting sleep, then loss of sleep can cause problems. It can inhibit the above processes we were talking about, the ones I've just spoken about. It can impact on lower energy levels. I mean, as I said before, I think I'm definitely can sense I'm below par when I'm not going to sleep. It can reduce our productivity. It can impact on our mood. And also, it's been found that it can lower our IQ. If you forego a night's sleep completely, you can lose a standard deviation statistically in terms of your IQ. So it can make you less intelligent as well. With all that in mind, it's critical we prioritise getting a good night's sleep. And here's some suggestions that may help you in terms of that. I just touched on it before, but if you're going to drink caffeine, avoid it from 2 p.m. It's got a long half-life caffeine and it may well be that you need to stop it much earlier than you think. Minimise alcohol and nicotine and certainly avoid them two hours before you go to sleep as well. Cease digital media one hour before bedtime and I ideally don't have devices closed overnight. I know I use mine as an alarm and stuff, but how many of us though end up going to bed and the last thing we do before we go to bed is scrolling through social media or going on a news app or whatever it might be. So really good to give yourself a break from that as you wind down. I must admit, I like picking up a book before I go to sleep just to um, sort of quiet myself down. Could be that you meditate before sleep, particularly if you're finding it difficult to switch off. And if you've got a lot of things playing on your mind, it's good to dump down those thoughts or problems onto a notebook. Because if things are playing on your mind, you let you can let your brain know that you've actually parked them for now and you write them down on a notebook. So things are playing on your mind, almost go through a process, writing them down and saying to yourself, OK, they're captured. I'll come back to them. And also be really mindful of something I've only just heard of recently called revenge bedtime procrastination. This means that if you've had a really busy day, for example, and you feel like you want a bit of me time, that you almost um, take that out of your sleep time. So rather than going to bed and getting the sleep that you need, you feel, oh, I know, actually, I'd rather step and watch a bit of extra telly because I feel like I haven't had that time to myself today. But know that the impacts of that short term and longer term are going to really play on you. So in the end, you're going to lose out with that. It's If you're going to find the me time look at scheduling that into your day somehow and making sure that you're finishing work maybe earlier so you're getting that me time now let's move on to the area of confidence do you always feel confident or do you find it fluctuates do you feel you're lacking confidence in certain areas of your life and remember confidence can apply and be different in different scenarios now confidence is a state and it can be influenced by neurology, our biology, our experiences or the behaviour that we choose to take as well. Now, in neurological terms, the prefrontal cortex of the brain plays a really big part in confidence as it's influencing reasoning based on past experiences and the situation that we face in front of us. The striatum, which I covered in uh, another episode, is involved in decision making, drives behaviour and rewards perception. 
And also if we feel confident, it feels good and it releases dopamine. And this stimulates the reward centre of the brain and it can become a self-fulfilling prophecy. And this, for me, relates to a concept from the early 1900s from a psychologist, William James, called act as if. So if you act as if you're confident, you'll feel more confident. And only recently did I realise that big part of that actually was not just psychological but neurological in terms of the way that our reward system works and the way that we release dopamine by actually encouraging ourselves to feel confident in the, in the first place and it almost builds on itself so as we can see there there's a lot of complexity in terms of the way the neurology is working around building confidence it's also worth noting that confidence can be negatively impacted by hormones, so especially for the women listening to this um, when you're going through the menopause, and it's worthwhile being aware that that can happen as well. But the important message here for all of us is that confidence is soft-wired. I was talking about habits before being soft-wired, and confidence you can almost uh, look at as a, as a habitual behaviour. So we can go in and out of the state of confidence confidence has much to do with how we are conditioned and more importantly how we condition ourselves so it can be what people have said to us and the way that we examine our experiences and the things that we do and I'm a great believer this is why I'm a great believer in celebrating the positive things that happen celebrating our successes because we are continually reinforcing that in our mind now Unfortunately, our ability to feel confident can be unlearned over time. And this can happen as, you know, doubts in ourselves are conditioned from parenting, school, in interaction with people at school, with teachers and other, and other life events as well. And it can lead to feelings of not being good enough. This is a really big subject for me that I often talk about. And not being good enough has all sorts of related uh, parts to it like you know ego protection imposter syndrome those kind of things but as well as unlearning confidence we can relearn it as well and it is a state that we can induce so first of all we can use our rational part of our brain the prefrontal cortex cortex to rationalize why we should feel confident and so it's almost that logical process that we know that if we're confident we perform better we can use past events to induce current states and I use a technique particularly when I'm out doing speaking keynote speaking called the circle of excellence which is where I visualize a circle in front of me and that circle contains all the great successes and experiences of, of my life and typically you know you select around about five or six really memorable events but we all know this don't we when you actually start to relive an event maybe there was a really great time when you did something you got fantastic results or a really great achievement if you go back to the, that time it starts to bring back those feelings again so it's a really simple technique to use past events to induce a current state of confidence as well you could also have a confidence routine prior to events that may be a combination of things um, in terms of what helps you in terms of the way you talk to yourself etc etc and I I have one of those for speaking I often encourage the people who I coach on speaking to do the same and as we touched on before acting confident that can be the way that you hold your body can be smiling all those kind of things can stimulate the reward system and reinforce it so you can build on top of that and layer the confidence on top of, of on top of the state you're already in 
So the most important message here is confidence is a state and we can move ourselves into a confident state by the actions that we take and the way that we think and the way that we talk to ourselves. Finally then, the fourth area of neuroscience we're going to look at today is why stress is so damaging for us all and there are some ways that we can look at to manage it. Now I think we all know that stress can be destructive but do we really realise how much? I saw an article on the uh, BBC News, I think about six months or so ago now, where it was talking about the fact that the, the stressful uh, experiences we're going through now can have damaging effects sort of years and years ahead and, and impact on our um, experience of life way ahead of where we are today. So some of the things that stress can lead to it can in increase the risk of heart attacks of strokes of memory loss of chronic fatigue cancer in certain respects and also long-term stress may cause problems with depression and anxiety related disorders as well as dig digestive and sleep problems as well so stress can be so damaging i think we know that anyway to a degree but how much effort do we put into taking ourselves out of stressful states the big problem or the big issue with stress for me is that we're actually focusing on our perception of a threat danger or something going wrong and the big problem with this is as we know our perception can be real or imagined in fact perception is always unique to us so there's never actually a reality we're always perceiving things but often we overcook this and the thing is with stress as well it can narrow our focus so it stops us from seeing the bigger picture and if we're perceiving something as stressful it might well be that we're triggering our fight flight freeze uh, mentality and this is mediated by two pathways as part of our, our system um, and part of our autonomic nervous system first of all you've got the SAM which is the sympathetic adrenomedullar axis and this responds rapidly if we are perceiving a stressful situation it will respond rap rapidly and adrenaline and noradrenaline will be released but we've also got the HPA axis which is the hypothalamus pituitary adrenal axis now this responds slower and it can stimulate the hypothalamus and pituitary release of cortisol and this is the problem it's the cortisol that is especially damaging if we're exposed to too much of it over time and that's where the serious damage is done also the amygdala which is the part of the limbic system the emotional center of the brain this can aid learning um, by activating the hippocampus and the hippocampus has a role in learning and memory um, when arousal is low then that's great and it's working well but when we are highly aroused through stress the trouble is then that it can inhibit the hippocampus see the amygdala inhibits it and so we don't learn as well all of this is very unsettling i grant you um, but how can we build some re re resilience to handle the events and the stress and the perception of stress that we go through? The most important thing for us all, I think, is to be conscious. To get the body and brain in a calm and alert state so that we're able quickly to see the bigger picture, to reframe events. So if we're seeing something as stressful, often our perception of things is, as I said earlier, is way overcooked. So we may be able to reframe it so that we either see a situation in a more positive way or we reduce the perceived impact of it.
So it's all about us getting a sense of perspective. This is critically important with stress, that we are able to intercept our stress reaction and start to calm ourselves down. Now, I'm also a great believer, and it was one of the topics of the last episode on science that we're creatures of habit. And I like the expression sharks and life boys, because I think there are some habits that can take us down, sharks, and there are some habits that can keep us afloat, life boys. But we may well have those habits that do not support us and cause us problems, the sharks in effect. One of mine, for example, which I may well have spoken about on a previous podcast episode, is that tendency to watch too much news, which I think particularly at the moment can raise stress levels. Now, you may want to know what's going on in the world, but do you want to expose yourself to the news morning, lunchtime, early evening, late evening, reading a paper, going on news apps, all of those kind of things? Because it can raise your stress levels. We can change our habits. We can we can actually consciously decide we're going to stop some of those habits that we know cause us problems in terms of stress. And we can create better routines. And we can also put in place better habits that put us in a stronger place psychologically as well, which I referred to as life boys. Now, we also need to ensure we're not bottling up emotions because that can cause problems with stress, that we keep them in check. And probably one of the most important things, and we know it, but we probably don't do enough of it, is taking uh, some time out to just talk to somebody, a supportive friend, a supportive member of the family. It may well not be your partner. It may not well not be your wife, your husband or what have you, because maybe they're emotionally involved in what you're getting stressed about as well. So you need somebody who's going to be able to be more objective. And this is where I see one of the great assets in terms of my role as a coach is enabling people to be more objective rather than getting wound up in the emotion with them. Also, you know, there's a lot of evidence to say that mindfulness, meditation, active meditation, which is where you maybe are doing something like taking a walk whilst actually disengaging, are all very impactful. Uh, and, and as they actually, the good thing about them is they can engage the SAM axis so and, and slower our brain frequency. So it's not engaging that HPA axis where cortisol is getting triggered, but actually uh, engaging the SAM axis. And also, we have various frequencies in our brain, but slowing our brain frequencies down again. And also, things like mindfulness, meditation, etc., have been shown to change the structure of the brain in positive ways as well. So from that neuroplasticity angle, that, that's really beneficial. And right at the beginning of this episode, I talked about taking care of our brain health, and that that can have definite benefits in terms of preparing us for key events in life and stressful events and handling them better. And just even simple things like making sure we're hydrated, we're well nourished and we've had enough sleep. If we're going into a big day, you know, if you've got a big meeting or a big event or something, making sure those basics are there. Sometimes we overcomplicate things, but just making sure we're getting enough uh, water and hydration, we've had the right kind of food, we've got some sleep. There's a starting place for you right away so we've covered four areas today of neuroscience and what what we can learn from neuroscience and how beneficial it is taking the knowledge from neuroscience and taking it into our business lives our lives in general um I will be back with a further episode on neuroscience. There's still way more to cover, so I'm going to do one of those. But I'm also lining up some really interesting interviews in the coming months as well. One of those will be with Dr. Linda Shaw, who is actually the neuroscientist who I did some training with uh, over the summer. So I'm really looking forward to 
interviewing Linda for the podcast series in the future. But I will see you on the next episode. If you want to explore your leadership mindset in more detail, why not complete our free leadership diagnostic at thetonybrooks.com and subscribe to this podcast to join us for future podcasts.